I want to welcome you. I'm really glad you're here, and it's really glad, uh, really glad to see everyone as we enter into this fall season, but not quite fall, but like for everyone else, we're entering into fall, but uh, we still got another six weeks of summer, so, but you know, we're getting closer. Uh, I, I'm excited for, um, for this, this time of transition and, and, and to the next season, and, and um, just as, as we are continuing to transition as, as a church community and, and where God has taken us. And so um, we have been in this series um, called the, Defi- the Divided Kingdom, Stories from the Book of Jeremiah. And so we spent two weeks in it so far, and so we're at the midway point now. And uh, in those first two weeks, we, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah and one of his key missions. And one of his key missions um, was to reunite the house of Israel. Um, we also looked at how that related to Jesus and, and the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is all kind of tied together and like really key in all of this. Um, and so, a- as I said, Jeremiah's first call was to reunite a divided Israel to bring back together these nor- this northern and southern kingdom. And as we talked about that, we, we learned of God's desire to see unity and that we need to be defined, uh, we need to define what that means, um, that, that it's not sameness, right? It's, it's, not, it's not agreement. Unity doesn't mean you do and you act and you look exactly like I do. That's sameness. It doesn't mean that we have the same exact worldview, that we have the same exact belief on how things work. But being together, unity is being together as one community pursuing God's mission to see the world made whole. And the way God did it with Jesus was actually with the most diverse group of people who had very different mindsets, very different ideas on how things are. And so, like, how do we follow that pattern? And so I asked us to identify a few areas of our life where we see division and to invite God in and pursue reconciliation. And then last week, we talked about our understanding of of loving your neighbor, bringing some definition and seeing the impact it has in our lives and the lives of others if we are willing to not just say we love everyone, but actually pursue loving those who aren't in our geopolitical circle. And I asked us to put put that into practice uh, this last week. And so I want to give this summation of the last two weeks because uh, while next week will be related, it's going to be a, a little bit different than, than these first three weeks. And, um, and today I want to take us kind of a, a step further in kind of this final phase of these first three talks um, and, and what I hope will help us journey even further into this, this understanding of, of reconciliation, of, of, of a unified community and, uh, and what it looks like to reconcile a divided kingdom. And so today, as you begin, uh, something that Dan prayed um, during pre-service prayer this morning, he was just like, just God, I hope that you just open up my heart because I know sometimes I walk around with it closed. And, um, and that prayer really spoke to me because as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this morning, as I'm working on it the, 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 this whole week, I'm like, you know, my ask is that we kind of lay down our defenses um, because we're going to be talking about some, some difficult things um, yes, possibly even more difficult than what we talked about last week, which I know, uh, which I know was tough. Um, but as we, as we wrestle with these things, we have this tendency to just kind of shut down, right? When it's just like when, when we get challenged too much. And so 
and, and we kind of throw up, throw up our defensive walls. I, I mean, like, I know I do that, right? And so, I, um, so I, what I'm asking us to do is, okay, let's, let's, let's put, put the walls down, put our defenses down, and let's just see what God wants to say to us in the midst of this. You know, I, I talked a little bit about it this summer, but we, we tend to have kind of our own kind of structures and our own belief systems and but in order to, to actually change and grow and, and to have this transformation that, that, that Pastor Liz was talking about, we often have to be willing to actually challenge our belief structures, right? Like, oh, you know what? I used to think that, now I think this, <laughs> right? I used to do that, but now I do this. Like, that's how Jesus worked. Like, he redefined things over and over for the disciples. That didn't stop there. You know, that continues with us. And so how do we continue to redefine and, and, and pursue God in a way to where we are, we're growing and, and, and transforming and just finding new life and freedom in him? Because that's really my desire for everyone here is that we just find freedom in our lives. Like God is a God of redemption. Jesus came here to bring redemption. And, and, and so I want so, so much for us to experience that redemption. I want so much for our community to experience redemption. And so as we as we talked about in week one, it's not about being right. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's really about seeking the heart of God. And, uh, you know, one of the things it says in Jeremiah is that if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. Baton Rouge is my home. I couldn't always say that, but now I can. So I moved here 14 years ago, just over 14 years ago. And, um, and it was something that was just very different for me. Um, I came from a big city, and it was, it was a large adjustment. And I look, Baton Rouge has grown a lot. Like, it looks a lot different than it looked 15 years ago. I just remember when I got here, I was like, wow, Baton Rouge is a really large, small town. <laughs> right? And so, um, and so it was like quite the experience and quite uh, the, the, the culture shock. Um, but one of the first things I noticed was the clear and obvious separation. You know, I came from a city and from one of the, you know, I came from one of the most diverse cities in the world. I grew up with people from all over the world. I just thought that's the way, it, that's just what it was. I, I, I had to learn something new. And so as I'm spending time in Baton Rouge and going across Florida Boulevard and airline, I was like, oh, so this is the line. Is this real? <laughs> It's 2005. And then as I continued in Baton Rouge and living here and working and going to school and all those things, I also experienced a lot of unwelcome in many places. A lot of parts where it's just like, nah, you don't, you don't go there, Jeremy. And, and, and so inside of me, like this, this, this kid, it was like, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But I was quickly, 
quickly corrected <laughs> and said, no, this is how things are. This is how it's always been. This is just the way it is. And in that moment, I just, as, as I was told that by multiple people on both sides of the line, I, just, I couldn't accept that. But I, but I had to for the time being. And through that work and through the years, I've, I've come to see so much of, of the, the richness of Baton Rouge, of our home. But I've also come to see that God wants so much more for me. And so I want to give kind of just some of that, kind of some of my personal kind of story as we enter in to Israel's story, looking at Jeremiah again. So before we go into this really critical scripture, I want to give some background context for what's happening in the land when Jeremiah is writing, because it's very important as we move forward today. So in this context, what's going on with Israel as Jeremiah is writing, they are scattered, okay? They're in this thing called exile, all right? Now, we hear that word a lot, but, but it's like it's really hard to, to, to sometimes resonate, so I want to help us resonate, like what, what Israel experiencing in this moment. They no longer have a home. They don't have a Baton Rouge. They don't have an L.A. They don't have a Chicago. They don't have a Jerusalem. They're scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. And so as this happens over a long period of time, not only do they no longer have their home, they're dealing with an identity crisis. You see, because for Israel, like Jerusalem, not only was home, it was, the, it was where the presence of God was. It was who they were. And so to not have that, to not have access to the temple, to not be able to, to like worship the way they wanted, to not be able to do the things that they normally do, like it was devastating. It was devastating. It's like, who are we in the midst of this? And they were isolated, surrounded by this other world that didn't cherish their beliefs, that didn't worship their God. This other world that pillaged their land, they took everything, beat and raped and all those things to, to, to their families. They, not, they, they were the enemy, and not only did they do that, they took the best and brightest Jews and, and brought them into government service for Babylon. So not only did they just take everything from them, they also took, like, those who would, like, maybe help restore the community. They took them out of the community, brought them into government service, and, like, assimilated them into Babylonian culture. They did everything they could to remove their identity. And so... If you get a chance, read Psalm 137, which was written around this time. It gives you an idea of what they were feeling in this moment. 
because it was just miserable. So last week we looked at this promise from God towards Israel as they would return, um, that, that, that God would return them back to each other and make them prosper if they would come back together, if they would reconcile. And so I want to look at what comes after. This is Jeremiah 31, 14 through 16. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So this is just a powerful passage for me. So to understand that, though, real quick, uh, you need to understand who Rachel is, for those who don't know, okay? Quick history, kind of the father of, of, of the faith, name is Abraham, right? So Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Uh, Jacob had a wife named Rachel, okay? And so this is the Rachel that they're talking about here. And... Israel was often called Jacob. If you read scriptures, it, you know, when God refers to Israel, he refers to them as Jacob. And so Rachel is the mother of Israel. And she's now the mother of this divided kingdom. This once what was a family that is now separated, she cries for. Her children are the different tribes, the ones in the north and the ones in the south. And so with their difference and animosity present in their minds and with this desire to bring them back together and back towards God, Jeremiah paints this picture of someone they both deeply care about, the mother of who they are. As they struggle with their identity and their place and who they're supposed to be, Jeremiah reminds them, but also shows them that their mother is crying. Can't be comforted because of their separation from God and from each other. Because they no longer have their home together. So my mom was, is, <laughs> my mom is, an, is a rock star. Uh, but growing up, um, I mean, she, she, she had a lot of, uh, just a lot of trials, and, and, and she's just very, very strong, very, very independent, but uh, she, never let us see her, she never let us see her cry um, in, in everything. And I remember the first time that I saw her cry. It, it just about broke me. I was like, what can I do? Help, help, help me fix this. Because <laughs> it just, it's just, yeah, it's like, well, you know, to see that pain, right, of someone you care about so deeply. You know, I mean, what would your response to be to, to, to see your mother crying? That's what's happening here. This deep mourning over division. 
So in all of this, Israel also isolated themselves. So you had like the main city um, that, 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 that a lot of them were in, and they kind of stayed on the outside. <laughs> They're like, we're going to be just us, and we're going to do our thing, and because this is, this is all we got. And so that's where they felt the most safe and can maintain some semblance of their identity. But they were still pretty miserable because of what was happening. I mean, they were occupied. They dealt with so many things. And the city that they lived in represented everything that they hated, right? The city that they lived in were the very ones that destroyed their home. And yet, with all of that, in the middle of all of that, this is what God says to them. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. Here we go. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray for this city, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is the closest we have in the Old Testament where we see Jesus in the New Testament saying, love your enemies. Like, this is the closest thing we have. God is telling them to make this your home. Okay, think about everything we just talked about and God is saying, yeah, and make this your home. Pray for this city. And like, you got to understand, in, 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 in Hebrew culture, and, and it should be the same in Christian culture, when, when they prayed, they actually expected God to move. And so he's saying, pray that this city would be well. Bless this city that is now your home and make it your home. That is quite something to say. I mean, I'm sure God understands how they feel. I'm sure he's quite certain what's going on. And yet, he says, seek the welfare of the city for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, that word welfare in Hebrew is, is, is shalom, okay? So he's saying seek the shalom of the city. Now, this is important because there's really no word in English that fully captures the understanding of the word shalom. We just don't, we don't have it in our vocabulary. Shalom has so many meanings, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to rattle through a few definitions of shalom. Peace, prosperity, wholeness, wellness for the individuals, for the people, for the land. It is complete and utter wholeness of your mind, body, spirits, everything to be made well. And that still doesn't quite cover <laughs> shalom, but just to give you an idea 
When God says shalom, that's what he means. And so he's saying, seek the shalom of this city. And then he says, the shalom is linked. He says to them in Israel that their welfare is dependent on the welfare of the city that they're in. You remember, I think, I think in the 80s, this term, mutually assured destruction, right? It's, it's, it's something in place to where it's just like, okay, if you want to go nuclear, we can go nuclear too, right? But let's, let's reverse that for a second. What if we have this mutually assured hope? This idea that when you prosper, I prosper. Not when I prosper, you prosper. But when you're well, I am also well. That they're inextricably linked. So in addition to this connection we saw to Jesus earlier, we're also taught in the New Testament that all followers of Christ are in exile. And so this this message to Israel is very much related to us today. Because we're taught that we're all in exile. And yet our call to seek the shalom of the city that we are in. So if you read the New Testament letters, one thing that's pretty obvious is that the church was under a lot of persecution. Yes? Persecution that we have no idea how to comprehend. They were done some, some intense persecution. And then we also know, based off history, that, Roman, that the Roman Empire converted and became Christian, right? Do you know what a catalyst was for that conversion? That the church was seeking the shalom of the city. The church was doing so much good everywhere they went. The Romans was like, well, dang. Maybe we got to check this out. Like, that's, that's the kind of impact it had. So this leads us to the present. How are we seeking the shalom of our city? It's a question for us as individuals. It's a question for us as a church community. It's a question for us as a larger community of faith. All over the world, people are coming to Christ. And look, these are stories you're not going to hear on the news, you're not going to see in Facebook, all that kind of stuff. But believe me, I have heard and I've seen the stories from those on the ground. There are people all over the world coming to Christ, the people that you would least suspect, finding total life change, and their whole communities are being transformed because of this right here. Scripture teaches us to to seek out justice. It teaches us to make things right, to lift up the downtrodden. The thing is, to seek out justice requires sacrifice. And And that's the part we don't often want to get into. Or, when we talk about sacrifice, that's the part where we become the most transactional. Okay, I've done my part. I've sacrificed enough. Now you need to do your part. That's just where we, that's, that's what happens. When it comes to like us having to give something up, that's when we start counting pennies. 
But by that scale, friends, none of us measures up to the grace and mercy that we have received from Jesus. Jesus doesn't count the transactions. He doesn't count the coins. His love is endless. His mercy is endless. His grace is endless. So when we talk about sacrifice, I want to encourage us, me included, to, to get away from this transactional thinking that, oh, I've done what I've, uh, what I've needed to do. And instead shift towards this place with Jesus where it's just like, what can I do? So I'm a big advocate uh, for kids playing team sports. And this is why it's not so much for the athletics or the competition, um, which, I mean, that's all, that's all fine and good. But it's because of this, what happens when you're part of a team that, that, that I experienced. When, when, so when I, I played football for, for several years, um, and I remember towards the end of my football career, right before I started playing in college, um, my coach came to me and said, hey, Jeremy, I need you to switch positions. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but in a sport like football and, and, like, and, and other sports, to, to certain key positions that like, you, uh, you, just, you just can't change on a dime. And so it's just like, it's very difficult and it's, 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 you're not gonna be that good at it, but it's just like, it was what the team needed. And it was a position I hated, like I hated this particular position. I just, I didn't like it. And, and I remember in that moment, I had a choice to make. I was like, is this gonna be about me or, or, or what's best for the team? Because the team needs this. And that lesson, that moment stuck with me just to, to this day. And so there's something about where it's just like, I have to constantly get out of my own self. You know, like I'm constantly thinking about, okay, what's happening with me? What am I doing? Da, 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 da. And it's just like, I have to constantly say, okay, what is, what is God, what are you doing? <laughs> and how can I be a part of that? But that, is this the way that our culture is? We're just kind of wired and bred to just think about what's going on in our own lives and how we are, and how we are doing. And so they're like, this isn't like a judgment or a criticism. It's, it's where we are. So it's fine, but it's like, okay, so let's start to look at how we are addressing what sacrifice looks like in our lives. See, because our game isn't football, right? Our, our game is different. And the other team isn't another group, another neighborhood, another tribe, but evil. And God has a game plan to bring restoration throughout the world and he's asking us to sacrifice so everyone can be blessed. You know, I mean, the famous Christian pastors, God so loved the world, he gave his own son, da, 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 John 3.16, right? You forget the part that, like, God so loved the world and that he's actually putting us in, in that plan for the world and not just for our sake.
And so as, as I think about this, and as I think about like, okay, this, this idea of team, right, and how do we sacrifice for the team? How are we being a part of God's game plan? Like, because the, the, you know, <laughs> Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the powers of darkness. Y'all, poverty is evil. Poor people are not. Poor people are cherished and loved by God. Poverty is straight up evil. And God wants to do something about that. Remember the story of Jonah? Do you, if you know the story of Jonah, we use it as a kid's story, not really a kid's story, but that's another day. We'll talk about that. <laughs> it's a dark story for kids, man. <laughs> You're like, wait, what happened, Mom? Dang. So God sends Jonah, the prophet Jonah, to Nineveh. And so he wants to restore Nineveh. And so he, he, sends, he sends the prophet Jonah to tell them to, to turn from what they're doing to turn to God. So do you know where Nineveh is? I'm, I'm going to show you where Nineveh is. So I showed you this map, right, of the, of, of the, the divided kingdom of, of, of Israel, right? So Nineveh is up that way, okay? It's in Assyria. It's a very accurate map, if you were wondering. And so Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria continually oppressed Israel. They constantly killed and murdered them. And did the same thing Babylon did. They were the utmost of enemies. So Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. <laughs> He's like, I ain't going there. It ain't happening. Because he knew, he knew what would happen. He knew that God would rescue them. And he's like, I don't want them to be rescued. They're a terrible people. Some things happened. Jonah eventually went. And in the process, God reminded Jonah of the innocents. He's like, what, what about all the innocent people there? Should, should they have to endure? And so Jonah did what he was supposed to do, but he didn't like it. But the Jonah story reminds us that God wants shalom for everyone, even for those we don't think deserves it. And, and that's the key here. It's a whole nother conversation to talk about whether people deserve it or not. But the key to the story is that God wants shalom even for those we don't think deserve it. So today here in Baton Rouge, we have our own northern and southern kingdom. Baton Rouge... Uh, the catalyst of unity during the civil rights movement to bring unity and equity for everyone. You know, before the Montgomery bus boycott that Dr. King came to Baton Rouge to learn how Baton Rouge did the boycott so that they could do it in Montgomery? Baton Rouge was the catalyst for one of the biggest points in our country's history. 
A place once a mark of unity is now a mark of division. St. George is not the first part of Baton Rouge that has attempted to separate itself. But it's the current one. And as a church that is located here, we have to ask the questions and consider what our role is in all of this. Look, I understand all the arguments on both sides, okay? I've looked at it all. I've read it all. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm not, I'm not telling you what you should do. We talked about that, right? It's not about getting everyone to have the same opinion. Unity is about a shared common hope, and our shared common hope is Christ and Christ known. My hope today is to provide a framework based in scripture, history, and in love that will prompt us to consider what our response is. North Baton Rouge, as, as we like to call it, used to prosper. It used to be a very happening place. Now, there are many factors that have led to its decline since but a significant one is division. As division happens, one group wins out over the other. Always. That's, that's, just, that's just what happens. And it's usually the group that already has less that loses. Division breeds more division. And the marginalized continue to suffer. And, and, that's, and that's why we're talking about this today. Because the moment we have one divide, it just happens over and over again. I mean, we've seen it, right? Zachary, Central, I mean, we, the, the list goes on. This is not the first time. This also isn't specific to us. Look, throughout our country, Look, throughout our world, every time there's been division, the marginalized continue to suffer. And when God says, seek the shalom of your city that you're living in, you bet he's also talking about the marginalized. Because that's what Jesus was looking after. So given everything we've, we've learned today, I, I have a couple questions. And they're questions for us to reflect on. Okay? I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. This is an invitation to see what God is calling all of us to do. Can our ultimate destiny, purpose, and shalom be tied together? Can our unity, 
and sacrifice for each other and the other be what God has called us to do. Listen, I know how hard sacrifice is. I know how hard it is to, 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 to want the best for you and your family. I get that. But there's a reason the church is different. There's a reason why God created his church. So before we go into practical tips, I, I want to reflect on these questions for a couple minutes, and I want to play this song that's a little, that fr- that's from a while ago, but that just kind of hit me the last couple of days, and I just, I, I want us to listen to it as we, as we reflect on these questions before we go into practice.
Um, meditate on Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14 this week. Asking God what he's saying to you. Spend some time in prayer identifying the mercy and grace you've received and experienced just this last year, offering gratefulness and thankfulness to God for it. All right, number two. Get together with a group of friends and and come up with some concrete actions to seek the well-being of our city. Take note of the areas you're leaving out or avoiding, if you remember from the Good Samaritan parable in week one, and seek God to help you be salt and light in these areas. Y'all, there are a ton of nonprofits doing some amazing work in our city. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. All right, number three. We all love coffee, right? Yes, and amen. (laughs) In the next month, settle some time to hang out at Southern Grind Cafe. Now, Southern Grind is is an amazing coffee shop on Scenic Highway. It's actually spelled Southern C-O-F-E, if you Google it. It's an amazing place. You'll love it. Or bring the family to Scotlandville Park, which is one of the best parks in the city. Ask Dan. He's there all the time. Or check out the new farmer's market that's now right near there. If you're more of an introvert, go with some friends, hang out. Get to know people. You know, last week we talked about what we miss out when we limit our definition of neighbor. Okay, let's stand. So we're going to enter into communion right now and the communion table is a place to encounter the love of God the rabbis used to say during communion behold as they would hold up the bread the love of God for you and so I just want want us to experience that today as we, we, we take steps forward and as God continues to work on all of us. Uh, we practice open communion here. And so as you have processed through today and you're like, I don't know about this Jesus person, but I want to get to know him. We want to welcome you to the communion table and welcome you to get prayer. And if someone wants to just pray with you. And if you're, uh, have, uh, if you're a believer of any kind, you're welcome to take communion with us. It's an open table. And so we're going to worship a little bit more, do, do communion, and then we'll uh, have our prayer team come.